Welcome to season three of Diary of a Pandemic. Diary of a Pandemic is a personal development podcast that lives at the intersection of two framing truths. The first is that there's a global pandemic happening as we speak. The second is that unconditional freedom is freedom in all conditions. Two transformational coaches, Kianga Ford and Rachel Paz, set out to explore the path to unconditional freedom in the context of living in unprecedented times and meeting whatever the Rona brings with full responsibility for what it wants to teach us about how to get free. A couple of months into this project, George Floyd was murdered by a police officer in Minneapolis on top of a growing list of incidents of police violence against people of color. While our lives were quieted by the context of Corona, this captured our collective attention and led to widespread action around the deeper issues of systemic racism. As a black woman and a white woman, we have different vantage points on this moment. And we think there's a contribution to be made here by taking a deeper look at race through those perspectives. For the next 21 days, we'll be having an unscripted conversation about race, what's present in our lives around it, and what is our work to do to make possible a new conversation that leads to freedom for all. So here we go. It's Saturday night. We're going to do some lightweight conversation around handling the force of anger as it relates to race. Yeah. What were you planning to do with your Saturday night? (laughs) You didn't know? You didn't know this was the thing to do? So if you are just tuning in, I believe this is day 16 of 21 Days on Race. Is that true? That is true. (laughs) Yay us. So if we have not yet met, my name is Kianga Ford. This is my partner, Rachel Paz. And together we run a project called Becoming Free Humans. And we are looking at really all of the places that humanity needs to grow and expand to take us to the next level of, shall we say, evolutionary consciousness, um, the next level of humanity and human contribution. And one of the things that feels really clear in this moment is that race is one of the things we're going to have to touch, resolve, understand, be in relation to differently in order to get to this next level in order to not that there's a a fixed location that is a goal but really in order to continue our process of expansion race is the one of the things that we're going to need to address that we're going to need to bring some greater peace and understanding to So that's what inspires us in the context of becoming free humans to be doing 21 days on race. And in the last couple of days, we've been responding directly to listener questions. So if you have a question that you'd like to ask, you're welcome to post it below to send it to either of us via DM or to send it to Becoming Free Humans, the Facebook page. Ah, last option, you can send us an email uh, at hello at becomingfreehumans.com. Yeah. Okay. So today we're going to answer a question from Amber that came up the other day. Amber in Vancouver. Hey. (laughs) Amber in Vancouver. Um, I'm going to read the question. She says, I've been thinking about being in situations where rightful anger is expressed from people of color. 
who have been victims of racialized harm when in spaces with white people. Does becoming an intimate ally perhaps include learning how to become more skilled at handling and being witness to expressions of anger and rage from our friends of color? Anger is something so many people, so many struggle to be in the presence of, but it can also bring healing. So I'm wondering how can I as a white person best handle, support, and hold respectful space for the anger that sometimes needs to be openly expressed? My own nervous system is getting better at being with anger, but I sometimes feel the urge to just run from it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So our pre-conversation about this one was lengthy. (laughs) Where do you want to start? Well, I think the first thing that occurred to me after I read the question was, um, you're in the right place because you are in the presence of two women who are constantly expanding their nervous system's capacity. (laughs) Uh, So it's not, the framing of the question is actually really beautiful. Say more. Well, I think there's a more like, um, there's a a three-dimensional lens uh, that's possible to be looked through, which is like that sort of like, how do I, how do I help make people be less angry? How do I, um, how do I hold space um, without like harming myself? Like there, there's um, her comment about her expanding capacity of her nervous system really points to an understanding of of actually the muscle that's needed to to grow there rather than like a how can I put a bandit on this thing so that I don't have to actually deal with the thing um, and it seems like she really understands the core of, of of what's required here. Would you say more about what's required? Ooh, well, I think as a white person, our ability to hold discomfort, our ability to, to be with uncomfortable emotions, our ability to um, take responsibility for places where we've caused harm. I think, I think there's a lot here, um, but I would say probably societally, like our MO is like, that's not mine. I'm going to go over here. Uh, and I think that, um, and I think really what is required is that we step in and step in unguarded. Um, and I think in order to step in unguarded requires a system that can hold a lot of system that can, um, a system that can, um, receive the energy of others and not necessarily, um, um, well, that can receive the energy of others without it sending your system out of control, right? And without sending your system into some sort of reactive mode as well. Yeah, well, that was really interesting because what came up for me is not something we discussed in our, in our pre-conversation it reminds me of this um, media figure of the the black nanny, right? Um, there are other words that we've used for that historically, right? Like mammy, but this figure of the mm, 
sort of long-suffering black woman. Rachel's decided to leave our conversation. Bye, Rachel. <laughs> I didn't reach for a plug. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So I, it feels like a definitely a, a well-worn cinematic trope, but it's also, I think, something that is actually present in culture. So this this figure of a black woman who is serving in a domestic role in a very fundamentally inequitable system, right? We often come to understand that like she's left behind her own kids to be providing care for white children in the context that she's in. And so there is um, this sort of figure of her own like, mm, oh goodness. I don't want to say it, her own subjugation, right? Like, and oftentimes in the context of, of the movement of the characters, you'll see something where she's actively disrespected, right? Maybe even directly by the child in her charge, but then she remains available for that child's emotional needs. Right. And sometimes the emotional needs of her employer often expressed as the, the female employer, right? Um, and that, it, that was that image that came to me. It's like, how can you hold so much, experience so much, lose so much, and still be emotionally available to care for the people around you? Like that, that level of... Um, that level of cultivation, right? And I'm not suggesting that there are not all kinds of problems and complexities in that scene, but I think one of the things that it speaks to is a very highly developed nervous system. How do you take in a lot of very difficult things and stay grounded and present simultaneously? And that both in cinematic reflection and in real life, we have had the, the collective expectation that some kinds of people develop this complex set of abilities and some kinds of people do not. So yeah, that's, the, that's the, the image that comes to stand in, right? Like when we think about, um, when we think about the cinematic space, what happens to the young white woman who goes into overload, right? Who goes into overwhelm, who has many different stimuli coming to her simultaneously, right? Usually we watch her faint. <laughs> we watch her over drink. We watch some expression of overwhelm that isn't the expansion of the system itself, right? Usually someone else comes in to provide support. So I'm just thinking about the way that gets represented. So the, the thing that we are wanting to put our finger on is how do we actually have it so that allies can learn to expand their own nervous system, to expand the range. Um, so that they're capable of holding, being present with and holding the intensity of the emotion that's coming out. 
And then we want to parse some about what is the emotion that is coming out and um, kind of how do we think about responsibility in relationship to all of the emotions. So as I am wont to do when I'm faced with complex sort of questions, I made a grid. <laughs> it's great. It's really very settling. And one of the things that I wanted to see was that on the side of both allies and POC, we are looking at a distinction between the present and the past, right? So one of the things that needs to happen on both sides is that we be able to discern what is a present trigger, right? And what is sort of the, the weight of past experience, the weight of all that has come before this moment. I think one of the reasons that allies often shut down in the face of anger is because they feel ill-equipped to take responsibility for everything that they're hearing, right? It's like, oh, wow, that's a lot. And that's not all mine. Like, I didn't do that. So then there can be um, a shutting down, right? And there's a way to hold space for the thing without taking personal responsibility for as the one who has inflicted this harm, right? How can you just hold space for the thing to be run? Because the two sort of um, big directives, right? Like the, the big guiding frames are on the side of the ally. How can I build capacity to be able to hold the range and intensity of emotion that is present on the topic of race? Right? On the side of the person of color, it is how do I run the backlog of all of this energy that has had no space to be expressed? Right. So we wanted to share some questions that you might uh, be able to ask regardless of where you fall in this matrix, right? So as we're beginning to discern the present from the past, if you're on the side of the ally, hmm, the question that you might be asking is, what is my responsibility for this moment, right? What am I contributing? Where do I have present culpability, right? What have I said, done, however unconsciously, right? That is provoking the response that I'm in front of. First, to acknowledge the response and then to sit with the part of it that is yours to hold. Hmm. On the side of the person of color in the present, it is, what is the thing that is triggering my current feelings, right? If you can get really square on that, then the person who is across from you has a better sense of what part of it they are actually holding personal culpability for. Right. So if it's, you know, one of the, the ones that often comes up between um, me and Rachel is, I don't feel like you heard the thing that I said. Right. And so that's a real practical thing. I don't hold her responsible for the content of the story that I'm telling. Right. She wasn't there for that. She didn't do that. 
But if she wants to understand the context that I'm coming from, then I need to feel like the story is, is held and acknowledged before we move on to fixing it or to other perspectives on it. Right? So that would be the trigger in the moment. And if I can see that, I can bring that back to her differently. Now we're also reckoning with the past. So the question that the ally might ask in relationship to the part that is not yours to hold in this moment, um, that is not your personal responsibility in this moment is, how do you want me to listen? Right? How can I just be a space for the running of this energy that needs to run? And the thing that the person of color needs to be asking in relationship to the past is what is the thing that I need here? Okay. I need to be listened to. I, um, I need a solution to a problem that emerges for, from it that's still present. I want support brainstorming. Um, I just want to vent it all and know that I am heard. Right. So to, to be aware of what you need on the other side so that the, the, the ally in front of you can step up to actually need it. And of course, there are many levels of complexity underneath that. Right. There may be some parts of it that are more appropriate to a therapeutic context. There may be some parts of like all of that unexpressed emotion that may feel like they can only be safe in, in, the context of conversation with other people of color, but that's not something that a white ally can bring to you in that moment, right? So if you're aware of what you need, you can make an ask that's clean and that, that can be met. I think on the, on the POC side, there's a lot of expectation that there just won't be the capacity on the other side to hear it or to hold it. And so we don't run that anger a lot, right? I would say it's more often not run than it is run. Ergo the backlog, right? All the things that haven't been said. Well, you, you were mentioning on our pre-call and, and this is something that um, is a concept that's familiar to me too, is that real in the moment emotion, like, mm -hmm doesn't actually um doesn't actually last that long mm -hmm. and you know that the actual you know like the actual time is sort of debatable but like but if you're really touching what is present in this moment and expressing it in real time like it cycles through mm -hmm. and so there's a way that you know um you, you and I have moments where you're like, hey, in that conversation we had yesterday, I didn't feel heard, right? And you express and you share, and then it's done. It, and, and in part, it's done because I receive it, right? But, <laughs> but the emotion doesn't, you're not walking around with sort of like the craw on your side that like is still bugging you three days later about it. And so... Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting, I think, I think it's a helpful addition to the conversation as we look at, um, is something presently triggered or is it past, right? 
if it's, if it's something that is persisting, um, um, I don't want to say chances are it's passed, but it's, there's either, there's an additional payoff to you for sort of living in the emotion of a present trigger or, um, the, the, the past and the, and the present trigger are maybe too, um, intertwined and, and not being, um, not actually being separated for what they are. Would you say that that's true? I, and I think one of the other, I, I'm going to say, yes, that seems sound. And one of the things that makes it persist is if it doesn't actually feel received. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have to learn what real receipt looks like, what it feels like, how you, how it, how you can not just keep your physical body there and keep your ears practically technically open but what it is to actually receive when someone is saying something difficult right. particularly when someone is saying something difficult and you feel implicated right. one of the reasons that we're it's one of the reasons that we're parsing implication because that feeling of being implicated often keeps people on the ally side from really being able to hear and listen to what's being expressed, right? And I would say that that is the ally's responsibility to begin to learn to parse and to hold. And you can actually ask direct questions when you get into the skill of this, like what is the thing, um, what is the thing you feel I am responsible for here, right? These are, complex conversations though, right? They require that both of the parties be willing to stay in connection around it and continue to search for the thing that is true in the moment. And none of that is about the suppression of anger, right? It's really, about how anger can become a tool for deeper connection rather than the thing that keeps us estranged from one another. Mm. And part of the responsibility that comes in that is knowing what you need in the context of expression and being able to really discern, really parse what's the present trigger from what's the, what's the baggage I brung with me. Right. And in the context of talking about systemic inequity around race in the U.S., it's not that the baggage you brung with you is not relevant. Right. It is relevant. It can be heard in this moment. We want to create more space for it to be heard in this moment. But it must also be understood to be distinct from what's happening in your interpersonal connection in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, how can I be a little more clear about that? Sometimes I'm asking Rachel to listen to things that actually have nothing to do with her, right? And if she's able to listen to it, that's fine. That's all I need. What I, what I needed was actually to be heard. She's not implicated in it anywhere. Um, and so I'll just ask for that space, right? And I get to, to run it, and then I don't need to keep holding on to it. 
sometimes the conversations that we're having are conversations where there is some tension or density between the two of us, right? And that might require something different. But the more I can figure out on my side what it actually requires, the more likely I am to actually be able to get it and to have the moment feel clearing. It brings to mind. um, Yeah, I was going to say it brings to mind the conversation that we were having about race and desire about a week ago, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. where during that conversation, you were relaying a story that you had told me before a couple of times probably. (laughs) And there was a part where I laughed and I wasn't aware. And the next day you came back and you were like, Hey, this thing happened. It didn't feel good. And, and then there was a, here's what I need. Right. And, and so this was a part, like, this was a space where I had some responsibility. I had been implicated (laughs) as part of the problem and I had to, it's so interesting because as she was sort of, as you were um, sort of laying out, it laughed, you laughed, it didn't feel good. My mind went to, why did I do that? And I knew exactly why it happened, right? And so I could have just jumped in with the like, let me defend myself here. Because mm-hmm. um, in my mind, it was a, you know, I, it made sense to me. It wasn't necessarily like super, um, like it it wasn't even about the thing you were, I mean, it wasn't about you and your experience of it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. there was a way that I could have been really justified in like that response. And instead I had just like, I could feel the heat, right. As we were having this conversation, I could feel it getting hotter and hotter and hotter as I'm having to sit with like, dang, I messed up. Right. And even though in my brain, like there was a good reason for the laughter, right? Like it, it all sort of checked out. Mm-hmm. I was having to set that aside for a minute and actually receive that you had a very different experience of that and that, um, and that I played a role in that. And so I think it was through being able to do that then that we could move into the like, me taking responsibility for that and you I mean you were super clear about what the trigger was right and so that helped because I think it would have been I think it would have been harder to get to without that and you were also and and I was really clear like when I heard it I was also really clear like yeah that's mine Mm There's a way in this moment that if we can really develop our capacity for surrogacy, particularly on the side of the ally, right? Like this is not something in which I am personally implicated, but if I can hold space for it, I can contribute to the greater clearing, right? I can contribute to, which I think is underlying Amber's question, right? I can contribute to the deeper collective healing. So how to move past this thing that has been um, talked about in the language of fragility, right? To become robust enough and present enough to uh, step into a kind of intentional surrogacy. 
And before that gets overblown, I want to say that that's something that I work with in the zone of, of masculine feminine relating a lot. You know, there's an exercise that we do that says um, where the masculine partner asks the feminine partner, how have you been injured by the masculine? And we don't ask it once, we ask it over a series of several minutes, right? So he just keeps asking essentially, how have you been injured by the masculine? And when, when the, the feminine partner responds, the masculine partner says, I'm sorry. He had nothing to do with this particular story, right? But being able to hold space for that and actually give the, the, um, the apology that wasn't given in the moment heals the whole thing at a deeper level. So there's a way that um, structurally we know this is possible, right? Structurally, we know that it works. And it's important that it not just be a flat, like I always listen from a place of non-implication because there will be times in it where you are implicated, right? Either in something that you've done directly or in, in a way that you have um, benefited from the extension of privilege, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, there are ways that, back on the same topic of, of race and desire, there are ways that we've been in the same environments of conscious sexuality, right? And, and ways that, you know, Rachel, you have been the beneficiary of, um, Oh gosh, what do I want to say? A, a skewed or uh, slanted or particular schema of desire, right? As a white blonde woman, right? Like it is, it is often seen to be the standard, right? So there's a place where it can also be an acknowledgement of, oh yeah, I have enjoyed or been the beneficiary of all of that attention without looking at what that means, mm -hmm. right? Looking at how that affects people like you in the same space, right? So it isn't to completely neutralize, be like, oh, if I didn't just do that in that moment, I'm not implicated in it. It's really learning the discernment of how am I implicated and how do I not run from the proposition that I might be implicated in something that is said. And if I'm holding space, how do I not make it primarily about me? Yeah. Um, what else is there? I think one thing that we talked about beforehand that feels really important to share with you is all of these processes are things that we believe are best, I'm going to say best, best when um, facilitated with real-time support, right? As in, don't They're, try this at home. <laughs> they can be, they can be really hard conversations, right? So they can certainly be done without a lot of savvy, with good intent, but without a lot of skill in a way that can increase the inflammation, right? Sure, try whatever part of it you wanna try at home. 
And there's a way that when you put practices like this in a safe container where you know that you have the support of people who understand how to hold processes like this, it's not just hmm, the difference between further injury and not isn't just on an ally who is new to the process, right? The question of, is it safe enough to really speak this from the position of, of the POC who's speaking, isn't only contingent on how cultivated the nervous system of their listener is, right? So it, it works really well as a team sport, right? Really, it works really well when we can break it down into bite-sized chunks and talk about how it went, right? And in the learning of these new skills, the debrief is as important as the, the moment itself, right? How do we reflect on what went well so that we're not just adding new levels of trauma um, or baggage, right? Mm -hmm. What else do we want to say there? It's not a situation where you can't learn by yourself. But it kind of reminds me of that thing that we are always saying about coaches, right? Like, there are plenty of people that teach themselves to ice skate. <laughs> I don't think we've seen anybody go to the Olympics as a figure skater that hasn't had additional coaching, right? That hasn't had support. So I, I think it's um, both for the novice and for those who are seeking a level of real mastery with it. It can really help to have some um, some buttressing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I welcome your follow-up questions. We'd love to hear from you on this topic. That feels like a good place to pause for now. And we still have, I'm gonna say several days left. Can I count them? <laughs> Maybe five, let's say five. Mm -hmm. See y'all tomorrow. We'll see you back here again tomorrow for the next installment of Diary of a Pandemic, 21 Days on Race. If you want to connect with us with your questions, reflections, inquiries about working together, joining us live on the podcast, or really anything else, drop us an email at hello at becomingfreehumans.com or through the messaging function of whatever app you're listening to this on.